0: Happy New Year's Eve! I'm so glad you decided to join us in this, the last day of 2023. My name is Jeremy Loki. I'm the youth pastor here, also the technical director. So if you only see me on Sundays and you see me just running back and forth, that's why. Uh, but on Wednesdays and throughout the week, I'm meeting with students and teaching them as well. And so we're just going to jump right in today because we've got a lot of uh, a lot of ground to cover. But I was, I think it was Christmas of 1996. And I was 14 years old. It was Christmas morning around 11 a.m. or so, and the only thing that I had asked for that year for my parents for Christmas was an acoustic guitar. Uh, If you remember before, I've told you about my obsession with Garth Brooks. This was the uh, final piece that would complete the set, uh, was me being able to play acoustic guitar while singing. And so, Uh, We had already unwrapped all the gifts, and so just like your house looked uh, the other day, it was just covered in wrapping paper and boxes, and I had gotten some clothes and maybe a CD or something. Kids, ask your parents what a CD is. Um, I just was doing my absolute best to not be disappointed or not feel ungrateful for the things that I had been given. And as we're cleaning up, my mom, of course, she says, hey, I think there might be one more gift that's in the dining room, we forgot to bring it. And so look in the dining room and of course I go and I see sitting in the corner in the most obviously shaped uh, bag, a guitar that was sitting there and I actually brought it with me today. This is this ugly uh, thing right here, but it was my first guitar that I ever got uh, is the one that I learned how to play on, which is uh, fortunate because it's a terrible guitar to learn how to play on. But if you can play that, you can play anything uh, that you ever put your hands on. And little did I realize at the time, but that one gift would actually change the course of my life. It would alter uh, the places that I went, uh, ultimately leading me into worship ministry, which leads me into student ministry, which leads me... right here today was because of that one last gift that I got on Christmas morning back in 96. And so this, I fully understand that a bunch of presents under a tree is a pretty weak comparison to the gift of Jesus Christ. That's really a a weak analogy, but nothing can compare to his life, his sacrifice, and what he has done for us uh, with his victory over sin and death. But as wonderful as a gift of Christ is on Christmas, that first Christmas, God still has had one more gift to give us. And that's what I want to focus on today is this gift that we call the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to dive in, and this is kind of going to run on parallel tracks, and I'll let you know when the track switches, so just uh, hold on with me, because uh, like I said, we've got a lot of stuff. If you've got your phone and you have the church app, I would definitely recommend you follow along in there. Uh, that's the easiest way to, to follow along, because we're going to be jumping around uh, to a few different passages, a few different verses. So one thing we're, first thing we're going to look at is the promise that Jesus gave his disciples before his, before his death, before his resurrection and before his ascension, he gave them the promise of this Holy Spirit that was going to come and was going to help them in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, Jesus tells his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you and we could spend the rest of our time together in this passage but i just want to pull out a few key things that are in this that are in this short little passage here that jesus promises his disciples the gift of the holy spirit is that first and foremost loving god always leads to obedience Loving God always leads to obedience. This was already established pretty much throughout the entire Old Testament. And so this would have been nothing new for the disciples to hear. But then he goes on further and says, "...the, Holy, the Helper, the Spirit, will be with them forever." Now, if you know anything about Old Testament, you know that the Holy Spirit was active and in working in the, all throughout the Old Testament. There were times in the Old Testament when God would empower someone with the Spirit. It said the, it would say the Holy Spirit came upon David or the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. And then they would do some incredible, supernatural, miraculous-type work that God had prepared for them that God needed to happen in order to continue his plan. But then when either when that act was over or when that person would fall into their own strength and their own desires and their own selfishness, it would say that the Holy Spirit left them. And so now Jesus is telling his disciples in John that the Holy Spirit is going to be with them forever. That there will, there, there's no more of this back and forth, that we will be indwelled with the Holy Spirit forever. So the Holy Spirit will be with us. The, then the last thing is that the Spirit is only available to those who know Jesus. Only available to those who know Jesus. It says if you love me, then you'll obey my commands. Then if you follow me, then that's when we will receive the Holy Spirit. It's only available to us by faith in the completed work of Jesus. So Fast forward a little bit to Acts chapter 1, and what we find is is that Jesus is getting ready to leave. He gives his disciples a final promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, go into Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so they, Jesus gives them some final instructions. And they are staring up into up into the sky as all of us would be uh, at this moment. These uh, ragtag group of disciples have just witnessed uh, Jesus do only things that could be explained supernaturally, and they're just staring up into heaven. And only an angel an angel has to come and remind them, like, "Hey, guys." Um, He said to go and wait, (laughs) like, go, you got to get out of here. You got to keep going. You got to move on. And the disciples did just that. It says they went in Jerusalem, they found a room and they waited. And in Acts chapter two, verses two and four, this is what it says about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Holy Spirit arrives on the scene and uh, seemingly the same kind of miraculousness that we see with the Christmas story with Jesus' arrival, and it empowers them to do things that they could not do on their own. And so the Holy Spirit is on the scene and can now dwell in the hearts of those who believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that's, that was one, one section of the, of the train track, all right? So we're, we're going to switch gears for a second, and I'll give you another quick story. The night of December 31st, 1999, uh, some of you might remember that being pretty significant. I, however, was a teenager and was with a group of friends uh, in a parking lot, an empty parking lot, uh, playing hacky sack. And drinking Dr Pepper, like for real, like that was that was me and that was my life, uh, growing up as a teenager in South Georgia with absolutely nothing to do on uh, one of the more significant nights uh, in history. And so we uh, were playing, and at some point in the evening, someone thought to go look at their car to see what time it might be, and it was somewhere around like twelve fourteen at the moment. And so they yelled out from their car, like, "Hey, everybody, Happy New Year!" Like, it's, it, it's happened. And we all just kind of fell silent. It wasn't the typical, like, celebration of a new year with, with hugging and, and uh, celebrating. But we were seeing and listening if the world had suddenly come to a grinding halt. Because if you know, if you're maybe 38 and older, you remember leading up to, to the year 2000, we had been told from every news broadcast that the world was going to end because all of the computers are going to crash because of the Y2K bug is what they, they called it because it makes for a snappy graphic. And so we just sat there listening to hear, seeing if we heard sirens or gunshots or the parking lot lights might go off. And nothing happened. <laughs> nothing happened. After a few seconds, we were back to our usual celebration, uh, toasting with half-empty Dr. Pepper cans. Uh, and then a minute later, we were kicking a hacky sack around an empty parking lot again and kick it, uh, to, while we were under the streetlights there. And I tell this story only to remind us that uh, of all, after all the hype and after all the planning and after all of the craziness of Christmas presents have been unwrapped, life just goes on. It happened. Uh, it happens every year to us. It happened when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. I was teaching, the, teaching that passage and, uh, and realizing that a lot of people heard the Sermon on the Mount. Some of them just went home the next day. And got up and went to work and nothing changed. Like, can you like we look at that and go, well, this is the greatest sermon that was ever preached and probably ever will be preached. And people heard it and just went, Huh, that's a good idea. Those are some good good thoughts, Jesus. That guy, that guy might be for real. And they just went about their day. So life goes on. People came, they listened, and were completely unchanged, and that can happen to us as well. The bad habits that you've had for all of 2023 are going to follow you straight into 2024. And everything that, you've, everything that you've been doing and everything that you've been saying that you're going to do is just going to follow you straight into 2024. And unfortunately, our sin problem is waiting for us just on the other side of the calendar. It doesn't just magically go away and, and everything, everything becomes different. So the question then is what can you do? What can we do differently this year? And interestingly enough, Jesus also told his disciples exactly what they can do. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, a famous, uh, famous passage, but says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Tells him to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Seems like some easy instructions, right? Uh, insanely difficult when you break it down into what Jesus was actually telling them that they needed to do. And just like the law could never transform our hearts, and us choosing to deny ourselves and follow Jesus in our own strength, an emphasis on in our own strength, usually we'll have the same follow the same progression as the Israelites did all throughout the Old Testament. We make we 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 see our sin problem and we run to God and we make promises to God. And then life kicks us in the teeth and temptations come and we give in and we like it for a time, right? Sin sin is good for a, for a time, sin feels good for a time, but eventually the consequences of our mistakes wreak havoc on us and everyone around us. We realize that uh, our, the mistakes that we've made, we cry out to God, we make promises to God, and the cycle continues over again. But that was never God's plan. That was never his intention from the beginning with the Israelites, and it's certainly not God's plan for us now. The plan from the beginning was intimate fellowship between God and humanity. That was the intention. That was the, that was the goal from, the, from in the garden, the moment that sin entered into the world. God's plan and God's motivation was the restoration of humanity in relationship to himself. An intimate fellowship between him and us. And now, the law set the standard for, for how we could never measure up to God. We can never measure up to his level of holiness. Jesus came and he showed us what life looks like when we're in that intimate relationship with God. And now, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, living in scripture, it says, abiding with us, we can now begin to be transformed into a new creation and restored back to what God always intended from the beginning. So, uh, in refuge we 've been going through the book of Romans. I know that 's a crazy book to go through, especially with teenagers they 've been awesome uh, and it 's been a fantastic uh, just journey so far through the book of romans and we 've just been slowly working our way through it and much uh, much about jesus 's sacrifice and atonement that we 've learned and how that changes everything and how we as believers can relate and interact to interact with god and so we know that every Christian, because of Romans chapter 8, verse 9, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. It says in, verse, in Romans 8, 9, "...you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, talking to those who have put their faith in Christ. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him." And so we're going to look, uh, we're going to keep going in, verse, in verses 12 uh, through 14, but I want to give you a little bit of the context here as Paul's been explaining to them how the law was never God's ultimate plan and how it was limited in its ability to save us from our sins. And in fact, the law shows us just how sinful we are and how much we need a savior. And so by chapter eight, Paul is writing out a new roadmap for how Christians can be transformed and set free from our flesh, our sinful desires, and live according to the Spirit. And that's going to be a, a, a really interesting and really important phrase there. So Romans chapter 8, read this with me, starting in verse 12. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And what, what we're going to do here is just kind of take some key phrases out of this and, and expound on them just a little bit. So that first phrase there that he uses in verse 12 that might be a little bit foreign to us is according to the flesh. He says according to the flesh that we're not to live according to the flesh. And so I did some digging on this and realized that he's not talking about a believer who sins. He's actually referring to that former life that you had before you came to faith in Christ. We lived according to the flesh. If it seems like a good idea, then we probably will just go with it. And so our lives are just pulled towards sin. We're pulled away from God's design and God's desires and pulled towards our own desires which is what Paul is referring to with this according to the flesh phrase there. We know that the rejection of Christ will leave us in this natural state of sinfulness. Before we have accepted Christ, we're just in this natural state of sinfulness, and sin, we know from Romans 6.23, always leads to death, both physically and spiritually. And so he goes on in verse 13, and he refers to this this other aspect that he wants to warn them against, which is the deeds of the body. And this would be that pull towards our, own sin, our, our old sinful nature, even those of us who are in Christ, because we know uh, certainly that Christians are still capable of sinning, right? We're still very capable of sinning, but we're commanded to put to death these sinful practices. And Paul has already, uh, already talked about this a little bit in the previous chapters of Romans 6 Verse 6, you see it there on the screen. It says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, which is our old self, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And, If we just stopped there with verses 12 and 13, you might uh, look at that, and if you dissected it a little bit, you would go, well, there's some good phrases in there, of course, according to the flesh, and what does that mean? The deeds of the body, what does that mean? And if we just stopped there, it would leave out this really, really important phrase, and it was the one that God just kind of illuminated as I was studying this this passage uh, and just kept coming back to over and over and over again. And I'm going to read the verse without that, without that phrase, and we'll see if, how, how well you're paying attention. So it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Does anybody notice the phrase that's missing out of that verse when I read it? It's up on the screen, so you can cheat. By the Spirit. He says, If you put to death by the Spirit, where is, it? Where is verse 13? He said, But if by the Spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live. See, God never intended us to be living just white-knuckling it through life. I'm just going to live, and I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to deny myself and take up a cross daily and follow Jesus, and I'm just going to do that within my own strength and within my own power. Glory, hallelujah, praise be to God. That was never God's intention. He said you can't do it you literally can't do it. And so Romans 6 tells us that we put to death the body of sin, and then when we get to Romans 13, uh, Romans 8:13, he says, "By the spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body." Our reliance on the Holy Spirit, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to empower us to overcome temptation. It's the same way Jesus overcame temptation in the wilderness. It's the same way you and I can overcome temptation this afternoon or possibly even within this service is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've, I've got to say, I've grown, up in, I've grown up in church all my life, and it was only when I started actually submitting, actively submitting and actively allowing the Holy Spirit to take control of my life that anything actually changed because up until that point, it was basically just me and my own effort and my own strength. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to take on my cross. I'm going to follow Jesus. And it sounds really good. And it sounds really great when you're a teenager and you say that to adults and they go, yeah. Right? That's the kind of stuff that gets you up on a stage at 20 years old. But if you don't understand that all of that flows by the Spirit then it's just another form of human effort. So I don't have this on the screen, but I want to read John 14, 26, because Jesus gives him another promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Those of you that have been Christians for a long period of time probably can remember times in your life, conversations that you've had with people where you like get done with the conversation and you go, how did I remember that verse from Sunday school eight, when I was from eight years old? And it just pops into your head in the course of a conversation and you have absolutely no idea how it happens, but it does. That's because of John fourteen twenty six. the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance all that you have learned and all that you know about Christ and about God and God's word. So let's go back to Romans 8. Pick up in verse 14. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the, I, I gave the heading of, the, of this passage, the proof is in the fight. If you've ever, uh, if you've ever doubted your salvation or had, had doubts about God or, or your relationship with God, this is a great uh, passage to go to that says, you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you are being led by the Spirit, then you are a child of God. If you're being led by the Spirit, you are a child of God. That's an important distinction because just like literally just the other day, I had a conversation with someone who's not a believer, and he referred to all people as children of God. And I was like, not exactly, not according to what my Bible says. But if you are being led by the Spirit then you are a child of God. And it's normal and common to have doubts about our salvation, especially when it seems like you're losing the battle against sin, right? Like those are the times when the enemy can really attack us and really make us doubt the work of God in our lives. But this passage is a great comfort that when the Holy Spirit is in us, we will naturally be led away from sin. When the Holy Spirit is in us, we will naturally be led away from sin not from our human effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when someone comes to me and they say, I'm struggling with this sin and I just can't seem to get over it. And I, my, usually my first response is, well, why are you so upset by sin? Well, I, I know it's wrong and I know I, I, I need to, uh, I don't need to continue doing this and, and everything. And the very fact That when someone comes and has this conversation, the very fact that you want to fight sin is a good indicator that the Holy Spirit is probably leading you. That's a good indicator. Why? Because John 3.20, if you see this, it says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed says everyone that does evil hates the light. The last thing you're going to do if, I, if, if I'm outside apart from Christ living according to the flesh is going to be to push my sin into the spotlight and want to deal with it. But when the Holy Spirit is inside of me, then there is the desire in my life to be naturally led away from sin. So the act of confession, repentance, seeking accountability should tell us that we are God's children. The opposite is also true. So when I I see those that just don't seem to care about their sin, they can justify their sin. And this is people inside the church, by the way, who can justify their sin, then that's when you might want to reconsider whether you are in Christ. That's when you might want to reconsider whether the Holy Spirit is actually dwelling inside of you when we can just write off sin and not care about it. And we just experienced this wonderful Christmas season and you can see all the lights and all the movies and all of the things that come with the Christmas season. And if you're like me, you kind of wonder, like, what, what is it about the season or what, why can't it be like this all the time? Like, people are just more inclined to smile. They will, like, engage with you uh, when you pass them on the street or in the store. And you wonder why can't it be like this all the time? And it's simply like we've been seeing through these Passages here, it's only those who are filled with the Holy Spirit have the, even the chance of being righteous. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit we can do it. We can be nice. We can be kind. We can be generous. We can be all of those things until life hits us in the face, <laughs> until temptations start coming up on us, until that desire in us that wants things to be our way instead of God's way, and we can justify it and work our work our hearts around it. That's the only the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way we even have a chance at righteousness. And so, if you know if you know anything about me, I typically won't use the head, head heart, hands stuff, but just a simple "so what." So we've, I've given you a lot of information. The coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is an extremely powerful moment in Scripture. And we see Paul's instructions to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us in all that we say and do. And so the question is, at the end of these is always, okay, so what? What are we, we going to do? And I would be missing an opportunity here if I didn't say, if you are here today and you've never put your faith in in Christ and his completed work of salvation, I beg you to talk to me or talk to one of our pastors or elders today. And it would be an incredible way to start a new year with new life in Christ. And then what you would do is set yourself up for 2024 You would have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, guiding you, convicting you, and shaping you into the likeness of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does is he molds us and shapes us more and more and more day by day as we submit to him, as we put ourselves under his control, that he shapes us to look more and more like Jesus Christ. But if you have put your faith in Jesus and you want 2024 to be different, then here's your, your application Ask God to keep you under the control of the Holy Spirit. Ask God to keep you under the control of the Holy Spirit. And that is not something that you can do today for all of 2024. It's not something to do uh, once a week or once a month or even uh, once uh, once an hour. (laughs) It is constant. Asking God to let the Holy Spirit take control of our life, of our thoughts, of our actions, of our attitudes, of everything that makes us us, continually putting ourselves under the control and under the submission to God's Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's going to make us more like Christ. That's going to put us back into that state that God intended from the beginning, intimate fellowship with our Creator an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And so if you want a more practical application, in just a few minutes, Mitch and the rest of the band are going to come up and sing a song called Hymn of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just pull out uh, one verse of of the song that we're going to sing. Is Holy Spirit, guide my hearing. Wake my ears to words you speak in the thunder in the stillness let your voice be clear to me and if there's anything that i can implore you or encourage you or motivate you to to do it would be that verse and remembering these verses of scripture that we've read today to continually put ourselves under the control and under the authority of the holy spirit in our this living living in you as a believer in christ he is living In you. And that's an amazing, miraculous thing that because of Christ, we can experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not just once a year, but day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. So, our application today is to sing this song of commitment and this song of surrender. And if you know any, anything about any kind of expression that we have as humans, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is the ability to express what we feel and what we are thinking. And worship is no different. That's why we gather and worship corporately, is to remind each other, remind ourselves of the goodness of God, remind ourselves of what God has said in his word. And just like you have outward expressions of every single emotion that you can imagine. We have outward expressions of worship of what God is doing in our hearts. Scripture describes outward expressions of worship as bowing down before God, of lifting holy hands in God's temple, of praising him with shouts of praise, praising Him with dance, praising Him with instruments, doing all of these things are outward expressions of what God is doing in our hearts. And so the application today is very simple, but very profound and, and very difficult to maintain once we leave this place. But the application for right now is to sing this song of commitment. If it's not your commitment, then don't sing it. Okay? But to sing this song of commitment to start this new year under the power and under the control of the Holy Spirit as our active outward surrender to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that my, my own heart, my own life, God would be fully surrendered to your spirit, to your control, and the guidance that you provide through your Holy Spirit. Father, it's an amazing gift that you have given us. That so often is ignored or taken for granted. And Father, I pray that you would help us to remember and be aware of your presence at all times, and especially for those who have put their faith and trust in you as Savior. God, that we are and have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, moving and working in us and through us, shaping us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, as we sing these words, I pray that they would ring true both here and now in this moment that you have set aside for us to commune with you and to declare your glory and your praise. But God, that they would continue to echo in our hearts and our minds as we leave this place and go our separate ways. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.